0: All right, who's ready for a sermon? Here we go. We're in, a, we're in a new series called Come and Stay. And I'm gonna give you the two tags that we're probably gonna use every week that are just the heartbeat of the series. In a culture of come and go, come and go. We'll see you when we see you, Non-committal. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. Got a lot of options. We're trying to say yes to Jesus' invitation to come and stay. Abide in me, remain in me. And after you stay, then what? Just uh, stay a little bit more. Just sit right there, sitting in his presence. And the second tag is being a people that live life with God, from God, and for God in that order. That we live with the Lord, we live in his presence, that we live from his presence that we live for him, for his glory, for he is worthy. This series is rooted in two different scriptures that we see as puzzle pieces that belong together. John 15, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. So Jesus' instruction is not go bear fruit, his instruction is to just come to me, be with me, remain in me, stay with me. Well, then in Galatians 5, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit are this, and he actually gives us the fruit, so we're kind of reverse engineering it a little bit, like, oh, okay, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, how do you bear fruit? You abide. Okay, so if we want to grow in these things, what does it look like for us to meditate on where we see them in God first? If it's a fruit of the Spirit, it means the Spirit has it. So, for example, if a fruit of the spirit is patience, that must mean the spirit has patience to offer. And if the spirit has patience to offer, who is sent from the Father and the Son can do nothing outside of the Father and the Son, then that must mean that God Himself is first and foremost patient. And so we're just going, "Hey, I wonder if we abided in a God who's patient, if that might help us be a patient people." But instead of going, "Ah, oh, patience! We're going to be patient." Everyone go out there and be patient. We're gonna go, God, we're gonna meditate on your patience and receive your patience and trust that the fruit is in your hands as the vine dresser. You can handle it. You'll help me be patient as long as I kind of gaze and meditate on your patience. All right, so if you didn't hear any of that, We're actually just gonna go and do it right now, and so you're good, Uh, it's just gonna happen to you. So here we go. Uh, First fruit is the word love. That's the first one we get, which feels appropriate, right? That feels like that's probably gonna be the first one in scripture is, what's the foundation we build on? Love, love of God, and we're about to switch gears. So far, I've given you a couple of announcements. I've recapped the series. I've given you the vision. But now we're gonna switch gears and I wanna ask you a question and and I'm gonna encourage you to take it personally and to actually try to answer it. I think you'll have an immediate answer, but then I want you to think about the answer that comes to your mind in depth. And it's it's gonna hit you a little hard. Who are you willing to die for? That's the question I want you to ponder. And try to see the face, try to see the person, or maybe the several people. But like, you know, you're at the classic example, you're at the crosswalk, the sign says walk, but someone's texting and driving, you can tell the car's too fast, and someone you love's in front of you, and you're left with the choice. Push them out of the way and take the car, and you're like, I'm I'm making the choice. I I will spare their life and give mine in their place. Who on this earth are you willing to die for? And as you think of these people or that person, why? I see everyone staring back at me, but try to answer that question, like why are you willing to die for them? You already know, I love, because I love, I mean, you kinda already know, but answer it. Let's keep, we're gonna stick in this thought process. I know it's kind of heavy, but we're all gonna die, so we need to get used to that that idea. And let's say you, you did die for them. Use your imagination here. At the funeral, you've passed away. You've given your life for someone else. At the funeral, how do people remember you and what you did for that person? How would they describe that act? Let's assume, probably pretty safely, that the person you did this for is at the funeral. And they're remembering that moment with you. How do they feel about you? How do they remember your life? What do they assume about your heart's disposition toward them as you have lost your life to save theirs? I love my wife so much. It hurts me if I think about it too much. It like hurts my physical body. I, I You know, it hurts your bones. You just feel feel it. Like, I didn't know that that existed within me, or maybe God added it once I got married, or something, something magical happened. But like, I love my wife, and now I got a daughter. Y'all. Liquefied. I am but a puddle on the ground. I love my daughter. She's five months old. She can actually do eye contact now. Easy for all of us, right? Well, actually, that next generation, they struggle with eye contact a little bit. <laughs> hey, get off your phones and look at your neighbor, <laughs> okay? Sorry, I didn't see that joke coming. Um, but when I think about my wife and my daughter, like, I, lo- I love them so much. And I can't say it with 100% certainty because we never know until the time comes, but I feel confident if a moment came where I could substitute Hey, I'll die. They live. In my mind, those are two names I feel confident. I'll, I'll take it. Please, Lord, please give me the courage to die for them. Why? I mean, I love them with, with parts of me I didn't even know existed. We all understand if you're willing to die for someone, that's the highest form of love. Conveniently, Jesus addresses this in John 15 right after he instructs us to abide. In verse 13 he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He gives us the goat example of love. That's it. You die for someone, that's the highest high right there. There is no deeper love than that. And we all kind of agree with that, right? We've We've heard stories of just incredible generosity or someone sacrificing a lot, but do any stories compel us as much as when someone dies for someone else? It's why we watch movies like Saving Private Ryan and we're moved. Oh my goodness, people willing to lose their life for this. When someone's willing to stake their life, it gets our hearts, it gets our attention. We understand that if you're willing to die, there must be something incredibly deep and substantial and authentic. You can fake love in a lot of ways, but if you die for someone, it's hard to argue the authenticity of that love. Story time. I've told this story before. My assumption is you've forgotten most of it, if not all of it, so we'll see. Last year, Leah and I are doing our daily tradition. We're waking up in the morning, making eggs and coffee. Just quintessential marriage time, it's beautiful. Early morning, the smell of eggs, bacon, coffee. That's us every morning regardless. And we don't have Leona yet, so life is much easier than we realize. I'm stressing about the logistics of making eggs, you know? What a life that I was living at that time. For some reason, I'm emotionally just up and down. I'm an emotional guy, you guys don't know that about me. (laughs) But I am. And uh, in this stretch, I, I can't explain it, my wife is being perfectly pleasant, but I'm just annoyed, irritated, and honestly rude and leave it to Leah to play it down and say it, he really wasn't that bad. I don't agree with her. I really think I was just not on my best behavior for several mornings in a row, and I kept coming face to face with this emotional immaturity that I keep presenting to my wife, and I keep ruining good mornings, you know? Baking and eggs with your wife is it's prime time, and I was causing us to argue. I even bought a book on anger. Wasn't a good read, didn't help. I was like, four pages in. That's, I'm one of those guys. Four pages in, I was done. <laughs> Probably was a good book, but I was like, nah, ain't for me. <laughs> and then my next step was to turn my prayers into problem solving with God, right? So it's like, God, I'm angry and we gotta fix it. So let's fix this. Well, last year, you, you, maybe you remember this, but we were small enough where we had a 9 a.m. silent prayer hour right here, and then we had one gathering at 10. Y'all, that was a fun, fun space, because to sit here for 45 straight minutes in complete quiet with candles and just meditate, it was awesome. So I'm like, figured it out, we're gonna problem solve my anger in this very convenient 45 minutes of prayer. All right, God, pen and paper's ready, let's stop being mad. (laughs) And as I'm sitting there and praying, We're gonna get anecdotal here, but here's my account, take it or leave it. I felt God prompting me. Stop thinking about Leah right now. Weird start. She seems to be the victim of my sin, but okay. Stop trying to think about yourself and how to solve your anger. Which was interesting because I was ready to white knuckle myself into a soft, compassionate, and sweet husband with sheer force I was gonna be compassionate. And God led me to think about the cross. And so that's what I did. I felt him telling me to literally remember the cross. And I was so Christian, I hadn't thought about the cross in a while, which was interesting. And I closed my eyes. And at some point, I'm gonna start describing what that experience was like. And when I start doing that, you can close your eyes and picture it with me, or you can just keep looking at me, and that's fine too. I don't pretend to know what the actual crucifixion scene looked like. I've been to Israel. I've walked some of the paths. I've learned about Roman crucifixions. But even all that being said, I I don't really know. But I trusted in that moment, like, it's okay. You don't need to know exactly what it looked like. You need to have your own picture and just let the Lord guide that moment. And so as I sit there, and I think about Jesus hanging on the cross, and death is quickly approaching, I just find myself getting lost in that world. The more I focus on it, the more I just get immersed in that moment. And I did it again this week. And so what I'm about to share with you is a hodgepodge of what I pictured this week and what happened to me a year ago as I meditated on the cross of Jesus. so for the next few minutes, I'm just gonna walk through what I saw and what I felt and what that experience was like. And I invite you to evoke your imaginations as much as you're willing as I walk through this. So we're about to start picturing the cross, okay? So we're now in Joshua's imagination, prayerfully, it's spirit-led. I'm outside, cloudy skies. That's what I saw, overcast weather. I hear Jesus' mom and a couple of her friends and they're crying, sniffling, at times wailing as Mary's son dies. I hear the sound of people walking on a rocky surface, similar if you've ever been on a hike in the early morning when it's quiet, that crunch beneath your feet, that's the sound I hear as people walk by where Jesus is hanging. Roman soldiers are chit-chatting casually, the same noise you hear at a coffee shop, like just talking because this is just their job. Crucifixions are actually somewhat normal. So nothing about Jesus dying in front of them is catching them off guard. They they do this for a living, so they're just chit-chatting. So we've got people talking, we've got people weeping, people walking. In front of me there's three crosses with three men nailed to them. The man in the middle has clearly been beaten up much, much worse than the others. That's the cross that Jesus is on. And positionally, the, the cross Jesus is on is above me. Like we're kinda on a slope and the cross is lifted up high. So he's not like in the raptors or anything, but he's, he's up here. I'm, I'm, his feet are at eye level or higher. There's blood running down his legs and over his feet and toes. And as I focused in on Jesus, I noticed that he is struggling to breathe. I picture his stomach kind of moving up and down. He's mostly silent, but he's, he's got that calmness, but he's suffering. and it's, it's obvious. He's got a brave face, but he can't quite hide that, that agony of all the torment. And I watch Jesus and he, I see that he's trying to muster up his breath. It's really hard to breathe when you're hanging on a cross. That's, you can die just by suffocation. And so to to get breath, you have to hoist, you have to use your your body to hoist yourself up to get breath. And so Jesus does that and he takes a, a big breath in and then out loud he says, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And I understand that that statement is about far more than just those responsible for crucifying him. I hear Jesus say, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished. And as Jesus says this, he drops his head and his body stops moving. and the Jesus that I've grown up loving is is dead and lifeless. It's quiet outside, and an occasional wind hits my ears, if you know that sound, and in that moment, I understand that something just happened, that Jesus really did something, that Jesus was saying something even without words. And as I ponder his courage and his humility and his broken heart and his compassion, I'm left with something undeniable. Jesus did that because he loves me. I'm left convinced of the robust and the permanent nature of his love for my life. This death was not unforeseen or driven by impulse. It was not a moment of spontaneous courage. This death was premeditated. Jesus chose it. He must really love me because otherwise a death like this isn't actually possible. You can't choose this death for such a long time unless there's a real and authentic love driving it. But then i met with, God, I don't deserve that. I'm selfish. I'm impulsive. I am fleshly. I'm spoiled. I'm immature. I'm sinful. I'm up and down. I'm emotional. I'm inconsistent. I'm genuinely embarrassed by the sum of some of my actions. I've betrayed people. I've walked away from you so many times. I've neglected you. I've ignored you. I've thrown dirt on your name, like this doesn't fit. And then far more overwhelming than my list of reasons why this can't be so, I'm just drawn back to the cross. And the cross is a far more powerful force than all of my sins and all of my shortcomings and all of my sorry moments. And as I think about the cross in a special way, I'm able to receive how potent and powerful this love is for me personally, how inescapable it is no matter how unworthy I feel. That even though I have voices trying to talk me off of how much he loves me, the blood of Jesus speaks louder than all of those voices. And in that moment, I couldn't escape this reality that the cross of Jesus tattoos the love of God onto my soul And it's weird because it's almost like my feelings are hurt, like I'm almost brokenhearted by how pure and perfect that love is. It humbles me. It lowers me immediately. There's a chance you've forgotten where this started, but this started with me making breakfast with my wife. In the following days, I found that as I was making eggs and I would just gently for a few seconds remember the cross again, kind of dip back into that 9 a.m. at prayer moment, I found that magically I wasn't as angry anymore I wasn't as grumpy. Just coincidentally, I started having spurts of love and kindness toward my wife. It was as if my meditation on the cross of Christ and who Jesus is and his love for me had somehow reached in and consequently, without any effort of mine, made me a nicer and more loving husband. If you wanna know the starting point to abiding in God's love, it starts at the feet of Jesus on the cross. Training yourself to meditate on the moment where the Son of God offered his life for you and everyone you know. And asking God, God, help me focus. Help me really meditate and receive the moment where you gave your life for me. Help me be really good at meditating on that moment and staying in that moment and receiving that moment. There's this story in Luke chapter 10. It was in your reading guide last week. Today's all story time, here's another story. So there's two sisters, Mary and Martha, okay? This is a classic. And if you haven't heard it, you're lucky because it's a good story. Both of the sisters care about Jesus so much they love him. They revere him. They respect him. And good news Jesus, the famous rabbi who is the son of God, is coming to their house with his disciples. And they're both hyped up. Whoa. Big night, Jesus coming over. Okay. Martha is likely a one, a two, or a three on the Enneagram because she immediately goes, We're about to put on the perfect night for Jesus. He will not leave disappointed. I will do this right. She enters servant mode. So she's busy. House to prepare, dinner to prepare, like stuff to get done to honor the son of God. And she's doing everything in complete excellence. Picture Martha refusing to compromise one aspect of the night. Everything will be a 10 out of 10 execution. She needs help, though. If she's gonna put on the perfect night for Jesus himself, she's gonna need help. Conveniently, she has a sister named Mary who can help. The problem is, where's Mary? She's not helping. This is legitimately a threat because Jesus might feel dishonored and disrespected in that house if that house is not ready for his Company. So there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus because Jesus is giving a teaching. So Martha, wiping the sweat off her forehead, is like, What is happening? As Mary has neglected her role to prepare the house and is simply listening to Christ. I'll say this in a different way Mary is saying no to doing something for Jesus so that she can instead sit with Jesus. That's what's happening. Martha knows without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus must be disappointed in Mary. And so like a sister, she tattletales. She goes, Jesus, you're pretty disappointed in Mary, aren't you, do you want to elaborate? That's Let's go read it, that's basically what happens here. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Martha's like, go on, Jesus, tell her. You came here to set things straight? set her straight. You came here to tell the truth. Go on and tell her, Jesus. She's right there at your feet. Let her know what's up. Well, Jesus set things straight. That's what he does. Jesus responds, and I hadn't noticed a phrase here until this week, and as I was meditating on the reading guide, that was on your chairs as you walked in. Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary. Not, hey, you're anxious and troubled about many things. I've got five things that are important that you need to know. I've got a sermon of three points and they all start with the same letter for you to write down and remember. (laughs) It helps. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but there's one thing that is necessary. What's the one thing? Then he says, Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. Not only is Mary not in trouble, Mary made the right decision. She actually chose wisely. Martha took her anxiety and her trouble and put her hands to the plow. She said, if I'm gonna be stressed, I might as well please Jesus while I'm at it. Surely that's what Jesus would want. I know you're stressed, anxious, troubled, but just do what I say. But you know what Martha didn't do? So sneaky, this detail. She never asked Jesus what he wanted. Right? It was right there in front of her. Jesus, is this what you want me doing? Just, it seems like it, like customs, would. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Is it, are you, never did it. I already know what Jesus wants, so I'm gonna do it. He wants me to get all this ready for him. While he teaches and makes everybody else feel good, I get the house ready. Okay, the problem was that Jesus in her mind completely disagreed with the Jesus right in front of her talking to her. The Jesus in front of her wasn't asking her to do that. The Jesus in front of her wanted her to leave her anxiety and trouble, to sit at the feet of Jesus and to just Listen. To receive, to abide. One thing is necessary. That's Jesus saying that. Not helpful, not helpful, not encouraging, necessary. When it comes to you and God, some of your greatest work on earth is not to perform. It is to sit in the presence of Jesus and meditate on the presence of Jesus. To be still, to be silent, to listen, to receive. The scriptures say you've been adopted, your sons and daughters. The scriptures say every good thing is from above. Surely God, a generous God, wants to give to his sons and daughters. How often are we in a position to receive what he is trying to offer? So that's going to be our step today. And spoiler, every Sunday until 2024. We're going to meditate on God's love. And I'm gonna invite you to meditate on the cross. So in a few minutes, you're gonna have this 10-minute block. And listen, let me just name some stuff. You're sitting shoulder to shoulder. This venue is packed tight. You may or may not know the person you're sitting next to. You may hear an ambulance or a helicopter or think about tomorrow's homework or work, or your responsibilities for your family. It's not always easy to focus. In a context like this, it can be difficult, but I wanna encourage you with all you can, we're gonna focus on the cross. If sitting up helps you, if closing your eyes, if breathing deeply, and let me just speak this over you. As distractions come, because spoiler, they're coming within 10 seconds of you trying this exercise, don't let that be a problem that you need to fix. Don't feel condemned or like, oh, I can't. Feel, like, let distractions come and go. Don't give them any more or less attention than they need. Just let them exist and then fall to the wayside. And as we do this, see the cross. Put yourself in the moment and ask God, God, what do you want me to notice about this moment? The cross, the birthplace of Christianity, where all of it starts for us that the Son of God gave his life that we may know the Father. Surely he has things for his sons and daughters to receive until we see him face to face as we meditate on the cross. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is scripture. That's the truth over your life, nothing nothing can separate you. So ask God, God, I, I, I feel a little separated. Will you help me know the truth of your love as I meditate on that moment where you gave your life? So as we enter into this moment of abiding that we're gonna do every week this fall, this winter, there will be some helpful instructions behind me. I don't, you don't really need them in, unless this is like your first time, they'll be helpful but they're really just here to say, hey, sit up, breathe deep, close your eyes, focus, and just don't have too many expectations on this moment. You can't pass or fail this moment. For some of you, today is gonna be the practice that helps your Wednesday meditative prayer moment really take hold, and you need a few times to try and go, I got nothing out of that and I was really distracted. But then the next time, you're like, ah, it was okay, next time, so even if today you're like, I don't know, I was tired, nothing happened. It's like, cool, that's okay. So we're not setting expectations. We're just trying with all of our heart to focus on the cross. Now, we passed out physical Bibles in case you want this story in Scripture to help you focus. So Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 49 is a piece of the crucifixion. And my encouragement would be, don't accidentally start Bible studying. This is your time to meditate. So if a verse grabs your attention, or an image comes to your mind that grips you, feel free to pause right there and meditate on that moment. Let yourself get lost in a moment. Let the Holy Spirit take that moment deeper. If the phrase, Father, forgive them, just grips you, then just meditate on Father, forgive them, and let God take you deeper. We're gonna play some soft, gentle music as we always do. We're gonna play it a little quieter than normal as we're trying to get used to silence and focus. And for the next 10 minutes, whatever you gotta to do to, just to meditate on the cross of Christ, and then I'll come back in 10. Don't mind being uncomfortable, don't mind being distracted, but I would encourage you, anticipate that God wants to speak to you. The Holy Spirit will minister to you as you think on Jesus and as you seek his face. I struggle to stop talking. Let me stop talking. Let's meditate on the cross of Christ. All right, so way to go. You sat silently for 10 minutes just now. Um, If you feel like that went by quickly, will you raise your hand? If you feel like that took an hour, will you raise your hand? Yeah, come on, it's more than that, it's more than that. Um, well, no matter how it felt, or no matter how it went, we're chilling, it's all good. Our next step that we'll do every week is an invitation, not a command, as if I could command you to do anything anyway. Um, just for the record, all of this is invitational at all times, no matter what I say. Uh, but um, is to circle up, But you didn't see that coming, in groups of two or three, and then just to share, hey, how was that? Did you sense God leading you or did you have a thought that captivated you or how did this hit you? And here's my encouragement. One, you don't have to. Two, you can say pass. I'd like to just listen. That's fine. But three, don't underestimate. God will speak through your neighbors and there's a chance he'll speak through you even if you feel discouraged or you felt frustrated, or like, just don't assume that you don't have something worth sharing, and certainly don't assume that your neighbor doesn't have something worth really listening closely to. Um, so for the next eight or so minutes, we're gonna circle up and just share. Like, how was that? What'd you think about as you thought about Jesus and the cross, and um, if you sense God saying something to you or blessing your heart in any kind of way, share that, and um, then we'll come back and we'll sing and get to Fuel Bags. So. If you're comfortable, circle up with a couple of your neighbors and simply share what was on your heart as you thought about Jesus and meditated on the cross.